All right, as a quick PSA for the Turple podcast, first, autism and other neurological variations, learning disabilities, ADHD, etc., may be disabilities, but they are not flaws. People with neurological differences are not broken or incomplete versions of normal people. Second, disability, no matter how profound, does not diminish personhood. People with atypical brains are fully human with inalienable human rights, just like everyone else. Three, people with disabilities can live rich, meaningful lives. Four, neurological variations are a vital part of humanity as much as variations in size, shape, skin color, and personality. None of us has the right or the wisdom to try and improve upon our species by deciding which characteristic to keep and which to discard. Every person is valuable. And five, disability is a complicated thing. Often it's defined more by society's ex expectations than by individual conditions. Not always, but often. Welcome to Turple, the show that brings you neurodiversity awareness news and speakers. Whether you're a teenager who wants to know more about neurodiversity or just someone who's curious about the world around them, this is the podcast for you. So sit back, relax, and join us as we talk about how older neurodiverse people are ignored. Let's get started. Uh, I'm Vince Fatrasampan. I'm Joshua Park. I'm Michael Vong. And I'm Derek Maishiro. All four of us are high schoolers, and we're going to talk about what we know about neurodiversity and share on keynote speakers to talk about their experiences with new diversity to learn more about this movement. And every other week, we're going to discover new topics and talk about them with different speakers to learn more about different parts of new diversity. So Michael, go ahead and start with our first article. So um, from my, from my research, I, um, I found an article by the Spectrum News Organization um, on autism features, which may be more severe in old age. Um, a quote I found here was that this is because autism is a relatively new condition, which was first described in 1943 and not regularly identified until the 1970s. So um, going on about our topic, old people, um, I believe, have a reluctance in necessarily diagnosing themselves as this perception of neurodiversity wasn't really consolidated, as I said, until like the 1970s. Um, this shows how neurodiversity and autism were really shunned initially, and then much, how, how much of a of an identifier or leading um a leading like idea which people were able to rally behind. Um another quote I found was that um our analysis showed that age and severity of autism were linked. It showed that there, there was a correlation between age and, and how um autism traits would necessarily exacerbate, such as um with um, people's ability to handle social situations, um communicate or have flexible thinking. However, I do concede that in the study um that the forty six people who were like interviewed in this survey weren't like didn't necessarily have autism and um, this tendency is to to extract rules um of a worsening autism features or a general trend um, remains among like all among older people isn't necessarily clear so, wait, so you're saying like uh basically as people get older then the condition for neurodiversity is increasing or yeah uh, it's shown to like worsen or like exacerbate like worsen in the sense that people's like social like competence or like ability ability to communicate diminishes as they get older i see so like basically like your ability to like assimilate to society gets worse as you age essentially yes do you think there's any kinds of ways that we can accommodate for that um i mean the current the current perception of neurodiversity can like has, has like drastically altered and i believe that people um now have a greater understanding of what neurodiversity is so we can encourage these older people to diagnose themselves and then 
to see their condition or um, as neurodiverse people as like something that you should be accepting and like um like basically allowing for um for for them, for them to be accommodated into like hiding it from 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 society. Yeah, for sure. So um yeah, that was my article. Okay, so do you think how was this how was this article? Okay, you said that the people in the study weren't autistic, right? Well, yeah, forty six percent, forty six people um in the study were, were autistic, and um it also it was also revealed that another group um only exhibited like slight symptoms of of, of um of, of like autism or neurodiversity. So um I do admit that this study may be flawed and that it didn't really account for um it didn't really represent like the actual opinions of the neurodiverse community. However, I do believe there's a there's a clear correlation between them. Neurodiversity in old in old age. Mm. Do you think the perception of neurodiversity gets worse as you age? Like like people who are older tend to like try to distance themselves from neurodiverse people. Um, I do believe there is a negative notion surrounding neurodiversity. Um, as mentioned before, it wasn't until nineteen forty three where this like this idea of neurodiversity of neurodiversity was really coined, and um, we had an idea of what it really was. So there was this sense of oppression experienced by older people and which they impose on on current people who are nervous right now gotcha okay it's definitely interesting uh i guess we can uh translate to uh, my article that i researched uh it wasn't necessarily going into specifically uh older versus younger people but it did talk about the uh obstacles that many neurodiverse people may face when uh they join the workforce so uh this was from a website called Coach Hub, uh, some some quotes that I got also were uh, almost seventy five percent of neurodivergent workers hide their condition because of fear of discrimination. Of the remaining twenty five percent who disclose their condition at work, half of them regret their decision later on. So this is what Michael was talking about earlier about how uh, the perception of neurodiverse people uh, may worsen, and how that perception directly affects how uh, neurodiverse people may try to. Uh, well, what what they're trying to what the, what their reaction is to that perception, and that they're trying to mask their condition and try to make sure that they don't appear as a new divergent because they don't want to be isolated from like social circles. What is really, uh, I mean, it's really tough for them too because as you can tell, um, it said tw the remaining twenty five percent, half of them regret their decision later on. So even though it might seem temporarily. Uh, good for them in the short term. In the long term, it's definitely not something that will be beneficial to them. Uh, furthermore, some other quotes like prevalent misconception that neurodiverse people are mentally disabled. In truth, neurodivergent people simply function, learn, and process information differently than others. This is very similar to our PSA and how um, misconceptions and how different social circles might perceive neurodiverse people as uh, people who don't really fit into their social circles. And so as a result, they shouldn't really be talked about or kind of invited into their parties, which is honestly really sad because that's it's it's kind of makes it so that near people are isolated from these groups and it's really hard for them to assimilate, even if they really try, because they won't be accepted no matter how hard they try once they're kind of uh, seen as neurodivergent. So uh, for now, the kind of only logical solution is to educate people more or educate more people about uh, neurodiversity and also the staff of like different kinds of workplaces and that means making other employees understand why the needs of neurodiverse employees are different and how it's crucial if you want to have an inclusive work environment and i think 
um, that's going to be very hard to do in the future because um, even if employees are told that they should be more understanding of other people, that doesn't mean that they will be understanding of them. They might just have a work relationship and they might not have a more personal relationship later on after work or have, or, you know, even like the simpler things like, uh, let's say like a group party that they want to celebrate uh, on a special occasion and you're and like, let's say there's a neurodivergent worker, but they're not invited to these kinds of parties and outed out of these social circles, even though they're not required by the work, uh, work employers, which is uh, really sad because those little things add up and compound to extremely negative and detrimental effects to uh, neurodivergent people. And what do you think we can do, uh, Vince, about this? How we can kind of solve this um, social circle dilemma? Uh, do you want me to like specifically pertain to like the workplace or? Yeah, yeah. So like, because employers can only do so much, right? So how can Yeah. we educate employees more about this issue? Well, I'll go off of my research on the neurodiversity research paper that I did for um, our <laughs> AP Lang project. But Wait, one I of the sources I found uh, said that like one of the best ways to create like a solution for employers is to just like Uh, share the data because I feel like the data is not well known for people who are um, like unaware of like the benefits of like neurodiversity inclusion and like there are like a lot of like studies and like surveys that have shown that there is no um, disadvantage of having like neurodiverse uh, individuals in your workforce and it can actually lead to like many increases in and benefits for the company uh, like one benefit would be like um, uh, you can have different perspectives and like different um Uh, different ways that people can come different like ways of solution people can come up with and that's uh, definitely what um, Microsoft does as like Microsoft is known for like hi hiring people with like Asperger's or uh, I, I forgot like what part of um, their field they, they hired it for but like, I think it's like for like like analyzing data like data analysis and like they're really like I read in um, Neurotribes by Steve uh, Silverman that like hiring these kind of people um, they're better at finding the like the flaws in pattern, right? Like, so if you're like analyzing data, you need people who are like able to see like the differences, right? Like the the flaws in the pattern, the, the I don't know, whatever, like, Yeah, I don't I, know how I to get what you're saying, right? Because like some some types of uh, some people who are neurodiverse may happen to be especially good at certain like subjects and work fields, and so their skills will be useful in those fields, right? Yeah, basically. I feel like that kind of that might make them like more respectable in a sense, right? Because they're like, for example, like what you said, like Microsoft, like they can work there and it'd be really uh, impressive, right? Because I mean, working at Microsoft isn't like it's um it's a, it's a feat in its own, but Um, how would you kind of like, what would be your attempt at trying to solve the, the, again, like the social circle problem, like the fact that like, even if they're super successful in their work, like field, their field of work, would, how would they, would they still be seen as kind of equals among their employer, employees or uh, uh, colleagues? Uh, I think that's like kind of hard because like you can't really get people to just, I don't know, if like people deal with different things, they're going to react, oh, like I don't want to do this. They don't want to like change their way of like usually going about things. So like anything different like will lead to people being skeptical about it. But I guess like I, I don't really want to say just like spreading awareness will help because that's like obvious. Like obviously if you spread awareness, then people are going to become more well known about uh like what neurodiversity inclusion can bring but 
I'm not really sure about like a specific yeah, solution definitely. besides like just spreading awareness in general. How about you, Joshua? What do you, what do you think? Of, what do you think of the matter? Uh, so in terms of like, um, uh, workplace discrimination for uh, neurodiverse people, was it? Mm -hmm. I think like, as you said, uh, it's not that like neurodiverse people are like necessarily like hindered by their, um, condition. Like they just process information in a different way. So I feel like, um, there are definitely like things like skills that, uh, neurodiverse people are. Like they specialize in so i like how uh, vince mentioned that like um microsoft employs especially neurodiverse people for like data processing because uh like their brains are more like wired in a way that where they're um able to retain information and process uh data more like you know well than um like what someone would call a neurotypical brain such as ours so i think really like the biggest like uh enemy for um what is it just like accepting being accepting of um neurodiverse people is just like the stigma behind it like of course um this like whole research into neurodiversity is pretty recent and with it comes like stigmas and like you know like negative stereotypes about it so like obviously like employers are definitely gonna be more inclined to you know just stick to um people that are what society view as normal but i think as more research is being done um it's just gonna be like natural like it's just gonna be the natural course of events that like um employers in the future are just gonna be more like accepting and like uh what is it in fact i feel like um what is it they're gonna like actually employ more neurodiverse people for like a specific like set of skills that they might they might specialize in more oh yeah it's definitely powerful But I think what would be a problem is that, like, not all neurodiverse people are, like, extremely, like, talented in, like, one aspect. Although many might be in, like, a higher proportion than, you know, regular, near, uh, you know, like, to, you know, neurotypical people. But how how would you react to, like, that? that I mean, it's not, I mean, it's kind of like a stereotype that, like, let's say, like, an autistic person is, like, really good at, like, math or something. Or, like, like, a crazy genius at, like, some, like, science field, like. Would that like would promoting that be a good thing? Um, okay, so from what I've seen and like my research, um, it does sometimes hold true, but like you said, obviously that's like literally not all the all cases because neurodiversity is such a like vast array of things. I've seen some really great artists that are neurodiverse as well. So like uh creatives and just like you know, hard science and like STEM fields, like both both neurodiverse people could excel. in all fields but at, in terms of employment obviously like they're gonna still have to be like interviewed and go through just all like the processes i'm not saying like they should uh just hire neurodiverse people based on the stereotype that they are better at math but like yeah in just terms of what i'm saying i feel like um in the future with more like research being done i just feel like they're gonna be more likely to just like hire them for like I'm not saying like they deserve special treatment just because they are neurodiverse that's kind of the opposite um I think for them to better assimilate in um just uh workplaces with um you know like uh all the other employees I think that 
we just need a more open mind from the employers parts just to like even interview them and like kind of understand their struggles and then like kind of when thinking of hiring them just like factoring all of these uh issues and taking them into account and like yeah No, yeah, I totally agree with you on that. I think giving a more objective and fair process in the application process is definitely warranted. Um, and, you know, these stereotypes, like, may uh, hold true to some extent because, I mean, stereotypes come from somewhere. Uh, we shouldn't, we should definitely not, like, bias for uh, different groups of people. So I'll just uh, uh, talk, finish talking about my article. Uh, we also, there's also another quote that said, recent research. by Deloitte shows that companies with a more inclusive workforce are six times more agile and creative. So it is like what Vince said earlier, and uh, he'll get to his article and summarize that uh, later or right after me on how he talked about how like more inclusivity and diversity within the workforce does lead to more improvements. And that, and, you know, that logically makes sense because if you don't bias and you don't, you know, force diversity, then you're more logically going to have the best possible applicants, which is what every business should strive for. Um, and uh, finally, some people may thrive in a co-working environment while others may struggle to complete specific tasks because of their condition and therefore best suited to work remotely. So this is really important for a lot of people, not just for like university people, but for example, like especially right after COVID or during COVID when we had a lot of people started doing uh, work, working from home. I think that was a big shift for a lot of people who wanted to enter the workforce because they didn't need to commute uh, long distances. And also for people who may find it very hard to go into public spaces like transportation wise. I know for a lot of um, new diverse people, it might be hard to go to even places like the metro or like public spaces because uh, there's a lot of overstimulation, especially from noise. And so working from home is really, uh, I guess it might be for certain people, it might be um preferred because... That would allow them to have uh, a, a better, more accessible way to work and be more productive at the same time. So without further ado, let's just go to Vince and he'll uh, finish the rest of his article. Uh, I'll dive into like one of the bigger articles like uh, about neurodiversity, which is um, neurodiversity as a competitive advantage from the Harvard Business Review. And basically, uh, one of like the points it brings up that I found like pretty interesting would be um, the fact that we have to consider like the employer's perspective about all of this, that maybe it's not just like that they're unaware or like they don't know much about like neurodiversity in general, which is causing the problem of like uh, a lack of like neurodiverse inclusion, but like there could be like, um, like potential like cost problems or like, I don't know, like uh, time problems that like just like dissuade people from like having like a neurodiverse like program at all. So like uh, in the article, I think it talks about like, um, like one of the topics is uh, why companies don't tap neurodiverse talent, and like it talks about how, uh, in order to like have like a neurodiversity program, like people aren't like, uh, they don't know much about like starting a neurodiversity program at all, and like they they're like unaware of like what they would need to do and like what like, like what resources they would need, and like one of the solutions I wrote about in like my article would be like. uh getting like sensory uh deprivative like uh resources for like a room that like promotes neurodiversity and overall like i just found that like that part of the article is like most interesting even though it talks about like a lot of workplace like neurodiversity in the workplace like topics uh yeah
how would you respond to like an employer that doesn't have a lot of money to spend on like like those kinds of accommodated resources that are really important for neurodiverse applicants? I feel like that could be like definitely understandable. Like if someone doesn't have enough money for a, a neurodiverse neurodiversity program. But then again, like I feel like uh people are unaware about how like how much it may cost. People may think that like it like costs like a lot, but uh some resources like say that like it's cheaper than you think and that like in order to like get training on like neurodiversity programs, it just takes like some time and just like a little bit of research. And it's definitely possible for most companies and most companies aren't uh, really doing it anyway. So I think that is like a, the bigger part of the problem, but I, I like, it's totally understandable, like for like small businesses or like, like smaller companies who don't have like the time or money to really focus on that yet. But I feel like as more people adapt to it, then it'll become like an easier thing to adapt to as well for smaller companies. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, uh, especially for smaller companies, I think, do you think they're like cheaper alternatives to like, I mean, like you said, like they want, you want like desensitization platforms, right? Like, for example, what, what were you thinking of? Um, Like an article I read, like really focused on like uh, lights you would need to buy. Like, I don't know, like um, I'm not really uh well-versed in this kind of stuff, but like, uh maybe like um like color color is a big aspect i heard that like you want like um dimmer or like less bright like items at all like in like the workplaces i think i think it's a really important thing like i think like this even like this little things like you said color right so like yeah do you what well, like what colors are like calmer or like probably more preferable for neurodiverse people Well, I wouldn't like want to say like specifically because like I Yeah. would I would assume like dimmer colors like co like deep colors like maybe like I don't know like n nothing like bright and like that's like stand Like, out ish like blue, yeah like blue probably purple, yeah blue purple like our, like our podcast name, yeah purple, purple. Okay. Anyways, yep. um, yeah, I think, I think we're, I think we're done. Uh, so, oh, wait, also, um, yeah. I feel it's like important to mention that we're all, well, we're, everyone here is not, um, considered neurodiverse. Oh yeah, we're all neurotypical. Yeah. I feel that's pretty important to mention. Yeah, it's really important. This is all like anecdotal slash like extremely, um, yeah, basically anecdotal evidence plus like some research Yeah. we outside of our own personal time or in our own personal time. Um, Yeah, we are high schoolers. We do make mistakes. So like if we have any like things the audience wants to like mention, then yeah, we'll work on that. yeah, please, please don't flame us completely, but definitely critique us and give us um thoughts and comments um and definitely leave some uh topic ideas that you'd like to hear more about as we continue to expand our podcast we'll let more keynote speakers and guest speakers uh, get on our podcast so we can have more experiences to talk about this podcast was mostly created in an effort to have an experience or to have to relay the experiences of neurotypical people and their thoughts on the neurodiverse movements um and yeah uh stay tuned to next time when we talk about racism Wait, we're discussing racism next time? <laughs>